and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. This is the podcast where we discuss the latest news in books and sports. My name is Steven, and you just heard my wife Liberty. So let's get into it, shall we? For once, I actually have sports news, which you should be proud of me for. Yeah, I'm uh, over the moon ecstatic about the fact that you have brought some stuff to the sports table this week. For once. So the Pittsburgh Penguins have confirmed that a player tested positive during the whole COVID-19 outbreak. I don't know why they announced it after the fact when he's fully recovered, but now we know that most likely Sidney Crosby has gotten COVID-19 probably. Yeah, the Mr. Mumps, as we like to call him in our household. So it's not unlike the NHL to hide injuries. You know, they're, they're notorious for it's an upper body injury and it's probably really nothing that serious or it's a lower body injury and it's like they pull the muscle, you know? Right, no. I just, I said that it's probably Crosby because he got the mumps when the mumps outbreak happened, but honestly, they never announced who it was because HIPAA and all that fun stuff. He's fully recovered, so I guess we're kind of ready to get back into it. And I know that this week they're uh, opening rinks for uh, small groups, which teams are not small groups, so I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Yeah, they're literally opening up uh, practices of six starting the day we release this. It's going to be interesting seeing players practice without staff or coaches. I don't know what you can do. Like, do you just have all the defensive people come in? Or do you just do goalies only practices? How is this supposed to work? I'm thinking three on three empty nets. That might be fun to watch, but I don't think that's how they're going to practice. Yeah, so um, it's definitely going to be, I think, a little bit of a learning curve for the players. I would imagine the coaches are going to send them, like, notes as to what they want them to practice on, and then maybe they practice that way, because, like, that, that's kind of the only thing that makes sense. I have no idea. I know that these practices are going to be voluntary, so if you don't feel healthy or if you don't feel like risking your family's health, then you don't have to do it, but I know players are wanting to get back at it. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, as competitive athletes, the itch is there to, you know, play your sport. Right, yeah. Um, But at the same time, I'm like, COVID is COVID, so, you know, I know that some players, they've got newborns, they've got children on the way, and they definitely don't want to risk their health, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Phase three training camps won't happen before July 10th, so I guess we get about a month of small group practices, so plenty of time for them to come in eventually. Yeah, and, and realistically, some of the players have already been practicing outside of professional arenas, so... Just practicing at home. Yeah, you know, taking shots, just trying to stay physically active. I was watching an interview the other day of a player for Sportsnet. They were interviewing him at his home, and he goes, yeah, I do a lot of running because I don't have any gym equipment in my house. <laughs> so, you he's know, like keeping one the conditioning of us. Out, Yeah, he's, he's a human like the rest of us, go figure. But Amazing. he makes a little bit more money than us, so. So why do we have gym equipment and he doesn't? That's my <laughs> question. <laughs> exactly. But I also uh, read that phase four hasn't been given a date for when it's supposed to start. And I think the NHL is smarter than a lot of the other leagues right now because they're not setting anything in stone. They're saying roughly, maybe, we're thinking this time frame, but no one's actually coming out and saying this is definitely when this is going to happen. Yeah, the only thing that we really have from the NHL that's like set in stone is the way the playoff picture is going to look to set everything up, like the round robins for the top four teams in each conference, and then having the elimination playoff round to play into the playoffs. Like, right. So it's kind of like a 
if you're watching other sports and you're not really a big hockey fan, like Wild Card Week, where you have the teams in, that are in the wild card positions playing to make the playoffs like one game elimination, the differences in the NHL will be a five-game series. Right, so. which is different because we've never done anything like that as far as I know. Players like doing seven games. They know how it feels. They know what being down to means, what being up to means, and that would be a completely different feel from five games. And I'm completely hijacking that Chris Letang quote, by the way, if anyone's a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. I know he said something along those lines uh, this past week. Yeah, and we're still kind of on the hump with waiting for the NHL to tell us where they're going to play these games. Um, I know that a lot of the major people that are talking about sports in the world, and I kind of agree with them in this instance, um, leaving Canada out of it is tough because it is obviously their you know their national pastime. But at the same time, um, they are taking COVID very seriously, and it would require the players, if they traveled between either of the two hub cities, to quarantine for 14 days, which would then push the playoffs even further back. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially given the number of U.S. versus Canadian-based teams to play it in the U.S. And that's me being a U.S. citizen and probably being a snob. But I think it just it makes more sense because there are so many U.S. players, because there are so many cities in the U.S. that are going to be involved in the playoffs. I don't know. I think trying to go between the U.S. and Canada is a bad idea either way. Even if you just did two Canadian cities as the hub cities, it would still be better than traveling between the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, so like the Canadian teams that are, are Canadian cities, not teams, I should say, that are left are just Edmonton, Vancouver, and Toronto. All those have pretty long travel times for them, so if they had to bounce around, um, it, it probably wouldn't be the best thing in the entire world. I know personally my picks would probably be at least for sure Minneapolis, and I know last week I was kind of on the fence about it just because of everything that was going on up there. At the same time, they're literally, they call themselves the state of hockey. And there's a reason. They have arenas everywhere. I understand that. I think it's a prickly situation to try to make that a hub city, especially right now, though, with all the politics and everything, all the protests and everything else going on. But at the same time, it would dump a lot of money into the local economy, which I think might not be a bad thing currently, just because of some of the things that were going on, you know, businesses that may have been damaged from the people that were looting from not Minneapolis that were marching. Right. Um, That's a whole nother thing. But... You know, at the same time, I think driving driving any kind of stimulus of money into a city right now that could really use the assistance might not be a bad thing. And they have the facilities, and that's something that most of the cities that are on the list can't say. I shy think, of maybe like Chicago, Columbus, maybe even Pittsburgh, you know, in that instance. I think it's really going to depend on that, on which cities have the best resources for the teams. Because who knows how long it's going to take us to get through the playoffs. You don't want to take longer just because we don't have enough available ice. And that's kind of the dilemma. Like, obviously, us being here in Dallas, we'd love to see the games play here. That'd be great because right. all the games would be starting our local time, which would be fantastic. The only dilemma is ice arenas. You know, there there are there's a team here in Allen, which is probably about like 30 minutes from here, you know, from Dallas area. And in Dallas, you know, they have the main arena, the AAC, and then they have a practice arena here in Frisco, which again, like 20 to 30 minutes away from the main stadium. So that's it, you know. Right. And well, Texas isn't very popular for hockey. I think you're going to probably get somewhere further north that's going to get a hub city. Chicago, Minnesota, Pittsburgh. And that's by no means saying that like the Dallas fans aren't loyal to their teams. Like by all means, no, they're I'm 100%. No, I'm just saying the state of Texas as a whole, that 
that's not their one true sport. Yeah, we can and, definitely say that right now as it's like 99 degrees outside God. and not counting the humidity. So it's it's definitely not a winter sport hub to say the least. No, but at least we have some semblance of like an idea of how the return's going to work, what's going to happen. I uh, read a little bit, a little tiny bit about what's going on with the MLB and the Players Association. Let me just say... I kind of just want to say F you to the MLB right now because uh, they rejected the player association offer last week and then went, we're done. Just that's it. We're not going to counter. It's the other way around. The players association was offended when the MLB stated that the 50 game season, they, the MLB wanted a 50 game season and, and to prorate the pay. And that's literally a third of what they would make in a year. Like just, just imagine even as a professional sports athlete, an organization who you play in professionally going like, Hey, we're going to make the ownership only pay you a third of what you would normally make in a year. Like, don't get me wrong, they make a lot of money, but there are athletes that play in the Major League Baseball Association that don't really make as much money as people think. Well, what I read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the MLB wanted to do those massive pay cuts with a teeny tiny season of like 50 games. Yeah. And then the Players Association countered with 114, 112, something like that, games. And they wanted to extend the season through October. Yeah. And I think what happened again, correct me if I'm wrong, is the MLB went, we don't like your 100 and whatever game offer. No. Yeah, when when they made the 114 game um, offer, I think that was really not that bad of an option. Both of them kind of went away from the table at that point. Neither one of them really wanted to talk to the other. And in response, you know, the MLB Players Association came back and were like, listen, we really want the season to still be played because we understand the fans want the game to be played. So they came back with that 82 game season, which is one literally one game more than half of a normal season, which would keep them pending start date, obviously, out of October, except for right. playoffs, which mm-hmm. is more or less normal, you right. know. And then the next season was going to start in December or something like that, unless I read that wrong. Um, like preseason or something like that. I haven't heard anything about that. I would imagine they would still start the season normal. Uh, I think... That might have been the NBA that they were talking about oh, the earlier okay, season yeah. uh, or the later season start. And the NHL is kind of considering the same thing right right at the moment, you know, just depending on how long the playoffs run. Yeah. But the MLB, you know, spring training isn't until like February, March. So oh, okay. they, realistically, they'd still have a little bit of time off between the season and, and restarting over again. So it's like, that's kind of why I think the rest of the sports world is so upset at the MLB. It's like, come on, guys, if anybody should be getting their act together, it should be you guys. Right. You yeah. know, everybody else's season was cut. So You can tell how much I just love sports based on the fact that I just mixed up the MLB and the NBA. But hey. At least I came to the table with some information. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thoroughly proud of uh, some of the information you brought to the table in, in, in that instance. We're starting to see some stuff going on in the soccer world, too. Um, English Premier League, the teams this week were allowed to play internal team scrimmages. It was kind of big news. Um, again, voluntary. You don't have to show up. Right. Um, so it was a little weird. Like, me being a Newcastle United fan, I saw some of my players that you wouldn't see, like, shy of, like, U18. So we had a bunch of the young, young kids out on the field playing. Yeah. some of the few pros that were willing to take the risk and come and play against them. You know, but currently. they're starting back up next week, right? So we um, finally get some games again from the Premier League? Yeah, June 16th, so um, a week from shoot, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, 
we the first games that we're going to start rolling out, which is really really great, you know, in that instance. And then we had some big matches this week um, in in the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich is fighting to try to get that eighth title right now in the Bundesliga, and I know you don't like that as a Dortmund fan, but how many years have you guys won it? Okay, you don't need another one. Just like go take a nap. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, we're slowly becoming like the Patriots of the Bundesliga. Everybody kind of hates on us right now because <laughs> of the the way we're winning so many well, championships. Okay, there is one thing that happened in sports, but kind of not that bothered me when Bundesliga first opened back up. And it was my team played your team yeah. and FS1 decided they were going to do crowd noise yeah, over the well game. They added a laugh track, you know? And then your freaking fans, because the game was in Dortmund, decided, oh, Dortmund must not have real fans. They have to do fake stadium noise. And I saw that crap for hours before someone came out and said, oh, no, we're adding this on top of the game. It's definitely interesting. I, I think there's some certain certain fans that had a problem with it. I definitely didn't think that Dortmund was doing it because they didn't have fans. <laughs> you legally cannot in, in Germany currently to have fans present at your games. They barely are limiting camera crews right now to it. So like when you're watching Bundesliga games, you get like two close-up cameras and then the one wide shot right. at every stadium. Whereas normally you have like nine, ten cameras. Now you're on a team of three. But I'm just saying, that might be why some people are a little prickly about your team. Your fans get a little intense sometimes. <laughs> or as you would say, a little mouthy. But the two teams that um, we follow, obviously, being Bayern Munich and her following Dortmund, they did some things to um, kind of share their opinions about what's going on here in the States. What's kind of cool is the Bundesliga is, for once, you know, they've always kind of been the biggest sticklers about, like, protesting on the field they're very respectful of the game and not bringing publicity from the outside world into it but um one thing that the bundesliga has always stood for is that racism is not okay in any fashion little to high um you know they've they've banned teams fans from coming to their own home games before so it's not something that the german leagues really take too lightly well there is a reason that germany has a problem with racism and it's in their history and we just won't go to that subject today but i'm but just yeah. saying that's the reason that the bundesliga is not putting up with this nonsense yeah they, they don't really stand for any of it and, and there's been some cool things that have gone on you know at the beginning of the game all the teams meet in the middle middle the field and take a knee for a photo to be posted to each social media for either team and for like Liberty's team this week they were wearing shirts that said no peace no justice a couple of the players black lives matter armbands were on everybody's arms during the Mm -hmm. game and then um for my organization in our warm-up shirt kind of like yours was ours basically just stated reds against racism so reds obviously being reference to Bayern munich's colors so you know um they were selling those shirts as well to fundraise for funds to help lower income communities and things like that it's really hard for me as a white person again my problems teeny tiny compared to those of other people but as a white person i can never understand what people in that situation go through and i know that i'll never understand yeah, neither but of us ever will. It is beautiful to see these teams come out there and say, I don't want any of your nonsense. I don't care what you think. I don't care how you feel. This is how we're handling the situation. And it's a little tiny ray of sunshine in all this darkness. And it's just good to see the teams kind of coming together. And you're really starting to see it in the NFL as well. The NFL made a couple videos about um, ending racism in the NFL. And you had individual players saying segments of the same sentences, and then they just kind of mashed it 
it all up so mm-hmm. it sounded like one unified organization, um, which was really big. And it, it's kind of good to see the, the sports world kind of banding together and using the power that they have to bring things to the forefront and actually do it. I will say the one thing that I want from the NFL, and I don't know if it's happened because again, sports, not my bag, but I would like to see someone apologize to the players who have taken a knee in past seasons and given them crap for it. I think even if it's not a formal apology in front of the world, whatever, you need to apologize to those players and realize that they were peacefully protesting. You didn't have to like it. You just had to tolerate it. So Roger Goodell actually came out yesterday and kind of did that. Like, everybody was kind of hoping it was going to be a direct apology to Kaepernick, considering he was the one that started that movement. But it was more of a generic apology that maybe, you know, we shouldn't have given you such a hard time and locked you out and, you know, said that you can't come onto the field until after the national anthem because you've knelt before, you know, stuff like that. He's had real-world consequences over something that is so small. And I just feel like maybe just take a second, admit to having made a mistake, and make a real apology. I think eventually they will. Obviously, you got to understand, like, as the heads of major organizations like that, it's you got to walk a really fine line on both sides. Cause you, I can you, get that, you, yeah. You can't piss off the one side and you can't piss off the other, and you're just kind of, like, walking along the tightrope, just making sure that everything is acceptable by both ends, because obviously... Americans' pastime is by far probably more supported by Republicans than it is by Democrats. And the idea is to walk that fine line. Luckily, for the most part, you're starting to see some unification from both sides on, on the subject. Right. But at the same time, you can't you can't lean either direction in that instance. Well, and this is funny because it just mirrors a lot of conversations we've had in the past. I'm very much a Democrat. Like, yeah. I am far left. Like, you can use a telescope to find me on the left. But you're more centrist. And yeah. so I can can understand what you're saying and still think. But isn't there a way to have the moral high ground and still not piss everyone off? I don't know. I don't know that the moral high ground would be seen as the moral high ground from the other side, though, and that's kind of, that's the issue. And as a centrist, obviously, I kind of understand where Roger Goodell's apology was coming from. Like, you could tell when he was recording it, he so badly wanted to say the name, but he knew he couldn't. Because, again, you know, he probably had been writing that apology along with 80 million other PR people for the NFL to help him write that out to make sure it was perfectly down the middle. So let's kind of wrap back around for the wrap-up of the the games for the weekend. I know that uh, Munich 4-2 over Bayer Leverskin was uh, a pretty big win. Um, keeping that seven-point gap. Dortmund. I gotta say, before we go over to my team, yeah, I thought you guys were gonna freaking blow it right there. Oh yeah, at the very beginning of the game, gave up a goal like right off the bat. Well, no, I'm talking about at the end. It yeah. was 4-1. It was almost the 90th minute. You guys were gonna freaking turn it around. It was gonna be great. And then somehow you let another goal in and just... The way it happened, I thought, oh no, there's going to be like four or five minutes left of stoppage and you're going to freaking blow it and it's going to be the worst for you and I'm going to have to hear about it for a week. But then uh, you didn't let any more goals in. So I would say that was a closer game than I was anticipating. Yeah, well, Leverskin is always a team that you can't completely count out. Like they're, for the most part in the last decade, they've been a top five team in the Bundesliga. So like an upset is not shocking from them. And then Dortmund, man, y'all squeaked one out. One, you one only, to zero. You only need one to win. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> and, and in that instance, you know, that is not the same story for Red Bull Leipzig, who dropped a 
drop points to it, taking a draw to Paderborn, which, don't get me wrong, Paderborn is a much better team this year, but Paderborn's one of those teams that goes from Bundesliga 2 to Bundesliga 1 to Bundesliga 2 to Bundesliga 1. They never stay in a particular league, so it's like you don't want to ever draw or lose to them. See, now we're getting to the point where I'm like, I remember these names, I remember playing them, but I don't remember anything else about them, so it's probably I have a good no reason idea. not to remember Paderborn, because again, <laughs> they don't normally upset teams like that, and Apparently they do. Pick, picking up some points against Red Bull Leichpeg, who's honestly been a pretty unstoppable team. Figured Leichpeg might be a little off. Timo Werner came out stating that he's going to sign a contract with Chelsea for a little over 10 million euros a year for a five-year contract. I believe it was, I want to say it was five years. It might have been six. But, you know, he he's their, their main striker. So right. it's like deuces, guys. You know, like he's still going to play out the remainder of the season, you know, um, only having four games left uh, of the year. You know, we're pretty much to the wrapping up right. of the seasons. I'm a little confused though because that sounds like a long contract for a soccer team. Like I know in the NHL we see a lot of shorter terms but you also get the five and the six year well, you got to understand, like, barring the performance that he was not really given the opportunity to prove in the World Cup a number of years ago, um, when he played in the Confed Cup in Russia, he was one of the highest goal-scoring players there. Oh, no, so, I completely understand that. It's just, it's weird to hear a soccer player get a five- or six-year contract. But again, sports, not my bag. Yeah. And so then we're kind of on to the NBA. So they, the governors had an early vote on Thursday in the morning, um, ended up being 29 to 1. Mm-hmm. That poor outlier, I feel bad for him. Boy, he's like the last guy picked on the team almost in that instance. And then the very next day, the Players Association was like, done. Um, they smacked the, uh, you know, button down and was ready to go. So it Their sounds... format's weird, right? They're doing a different format than the other So they're going to play out um, eight games at the end, basically to kind of help seating uh, of the lower level teams. Right, because you've um, got too many different um, games in hand and stuff like that, right? Yeah, so there's a bunch of teams that are within six games of a playoff spot, so the the dilemma was we can't exclude them, so we'll make them play for it. That should all be kicking off um, July 31st. Tentative, on, right? Tentative? Uh, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that the solid days, what they're aiming for is July 31st, based on what I was reading. So We'll um, see what happens. Yeah, obviously. Um, the nice thing is it's going to be on the facility at Disney World, which is still closed, um, even though they're in the state of Florida where they are open for most things, but Disney World is still kind of holding out because obviously when you have people standing shoulder to shoulder, it's not very safe for COVID yeah. or social distancing. Can you imagine waiting in a line for like Space Mountain and it's six feet apart for every single person? Oh yeah, you, the line would be at least three miles <laughs> But other than that, I think the only thing that's really big going on in the news of the world, for the NFL at least, coaches are allowed to show up to facilities. So coaching staffs, um, as of, again, uh, just Friday of last week, they will be, they're allowed to come back to their facilities and start working out their strategies for the year. Um, Players obviously won't report for a few months, but it's going to be weird, I'm sure, for coaches to have to be sitting six feet apart in their, uh, you know, offices and things like that when they're going over game plans and, you know, trying to come up with new plays and whatever it is that they do. Whatever NFL coaches do. I love the NFL, but I'm not anywhere near the caliber of an NFL coach. Now, this is going to be rude, and I'm warning you ahead of time, but aren't they kind of the most 
at-risk people. They're a bunch of old white men, and they get to come back already. That just seems like you're asking for COVID. Um, you'd actually be surprised right now. We actually have one of the younger generations of head coaches in the NFL this year, um, having added a couple coaches this year that were younger. They're in their 30s. So it's, oh, it's man, watch a, out. a new wave of not uh, retiree coaches, you know, coming into the NFL. <laughs> and I think really the last big sports news thing, remind me if I'm wrong, you might have something else up your sleeve. Or McGregor, everybody's most hated and or loved UFC fighter. You either love his swag or you hate it. It's one or the other. You know, either you're walking around with the McGregor walk, swinging them arms, or you're just booing him as he walks. Is he the Irish guy? Yeah, yeah, the man, the myth, the legend, owns his own whiskey company. Uh, You know, he's about as Irish as they come. He has announced his third retirement. Maybe it'll stick third time's charge. Yeah, we'll really see. You know, he uh, beat up Cowboy Cerrone in his last fight in January. Don't get me wrong, Cerrone, as old as he is, the fact that he stayed in the ring with, you know, uh, McGregor the whole time, I'm thoroughly impressed because I remember watching Cowboy Cerrone fight when I was still in high school and (laughs) that was a number of years ago. It's definitely interesting to see Conor McGregor retire a third time. He uh, basically came out and made a statement and we're all kind of waiting for Dana White's response at this point as the president of the UFC. He basically stated more along the lines of, there's nobody else I really want to fight in my weight class or the one other weight class I've fought in before that are going to match my abilities. So there we are again. There's that swag and that (laughs) ego right there at the forefront. No, I'm sorry. I can't with him. I don't know enough about him to have a formulated opinion, and that's fine. But what I see, that's more than enough for me. I don't need to hear anything else. Yeah, I was reading a couple articles about another Irish fighter that's coming up right now is uh, O'Malley. That couldn't be more Irish than McGregor. (laughs) More Irish than potatoes. uh, he, He fought this past week as well knockout in the first round so you know maybe the new young irishman is there and the other one's like well time for me to get out of this game sounds good to me you know by no means is he much different uh he came in with multicolored dreadlocks to fight in his fight last night so um you know (laughs) that's a whole other can of worms we're not getting into yeah um but i think that pretty much wraps up all the sports stuff for the week um it's been relatively a quiet week and I know Liberty is itching to get on to the book side of things where it is her expertise. It was a quiet week in our uh, book community up until right before I went to bed last night. And then the author, who shall not be named, decided to open up its own can of worms. Is that what we're calling her now (laughs) in response (laughs) to a comparison? Does she deserve more than that? I don't think so. Well, you know, she did write books that people have literally built their entire lives around. Has she... I think she pulled a Gilderoy Lockhart here. I think that's what happened. And you'll know about that when you finally read the second book. Seen the movie. I know who Gilderoy Lockhart (laughs) is. So I got the reference. Maybe not as well as I'd understand if I read the book, but still pretty much nail it on the head. Um, so she who shall not be named decided to, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of the police brutality and the protests against it, decided to add fuel to the fire and involve trans people by arguing that there's an article that was written talking about people who menstruate and how it's going to be after COVID's over and decided to be a little bit of a word I can't say. I appreciate that. I would like to keep it PG here. (laughs) And said, people who menstruate, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Wumpin? Wimpin? Woman? And I really 
want to go through a computer screen and slap someone. And I thought that was going to be it. You know, you made your transphobic comment and we can move on. Yeah, we better walk away from the situation before it only gets worse. It did. During the night while I was sleeping, there have been a handful of other transphobic comments from she who shall not be named. And I'm not going to bother pulling all of them up and reading them word for word. I don't need to hear or see it and no one else should have to either. Yeah, the nice thing again, kind of uh, considering right now communities are rallying very well around each other. It seems like for the most part, everybody has basically been like, what the heck did you just say? Why did you say it? Well, You're so wrong. If you've been in this community for as long as I have, you understand the sort of rise and fall of JK in our community. Because at first, everyone was hero worshipping her. She created the series that we love and adore and everyone is so loving and peaceful and everyone just comes together over the series and in the series and the people who are so hateful and rude like that are shown as being the villains and then she's sort of had time as she's become a billionaire and then donated money to charities. People love that. That was great. And then the BS just started rolling in. And I think her Twitter should be taken away. Her PR, whoever they are, need to just rip it out of her freaking hands. Because yeah. that is what's going to ruin her if it hasn't already. The The sad thing is, because the community is so strong as it is, and very accepting right now. Always. Yeah, you know, I can say having experienced it firsthand at LeakyCon, like it, it's literally one of the, the most accepting groups of people that I think I've ever been a part of. Yeah, and um, your LeakyCon was just last year, so like yeah. you didn't see it in the height of new books being released, movies are coming out, this community is so strong and we're together, and if something like this had happened during the height of that, I don't know what would have happened with the rest of the series, but now that new books aren't coming out and her reputation's been tarnished, it's a very different feeling. For me, it just feels like she's not the creator that we loved and appreciated. So it's sort of like decoupling her from her work. And I could definitely understand that that output on it. You know, the, the thing is, books will still be bought from Harry Potter because obviously they're some of the most loyal fans in the book world and probably going to get some comments for that. But, you know, based on everything I've seen over the last few years of being in a relationship with you, you watching like booktubers and things like that, I've never really heard anybody badmouth Harry Potter. I'm a firm believer that like people are rereading these books and eventually they wear down. I've seen them, you know, in our own library here we record in some books that aren't looking so great. Having been read hundreds of times. Yeah, but they've been replaced. And so the sad thing is she's still going to make money because this community is going to stand strong together on the subject. But I can guarantee you she's probably going to be invited to less of these signings and things that LeakyCon is a part of, I would imagine, in response. Right. And... I mean, she's made her money, she's good for the rest of her life, and that's fine. It's just people need to realize that in decoupling her from her work, we can still have these words, we can still have these books, and it not be something that has to constantly be an activist issue that you have to press for all the time. It's hateful, it's hurtful, and when things like this happen, we're going to come together as always, we're going to donate, we're going to protect each other as best we can, and it's different because it's like us versus her and so i will love these books 
forever because it's what got me into reading. It's what got me into seeing the different sides of humanity and realizing that people can be kind, people can love each other, and people can listen. And the fact that she's so far apart from her original message just further creates that divide between her and her work. And so for anyone out there listening, you can still read these books. You can still enjoy the story because it is so polar opposite from what she's saying and doing now that you're not giving in to her transphobic speech. And that's really the way it should stay in that instance, you know. The community needs to stay strong and be supportive of, you know, the trans LGBTQ communities that are in intertwined right. with, with the Harry Potter world, knowing a few ourselves that are in that community that are our Harry Potter fanatics, you know, that that's the most important thing really for anybody to do at this point in time. And moving off that soapbox, there have been two pieces of book-related news that I have found out about over the past week. Uh, one happened the week before, but it hasn't made a big splash in the news of the book community for some reason. Probably just because nothing's going to happen anytime soon, but the Complete Fiction, they've picked up a bunch of different projects for Netflix, one of which is a series that I mentioned last time, the Devabod Trilogy by S.A. Chakraborty. Uh, the City of Brass is the first one, and they're going to work on turning that into a movie, I believe, for Netflix. And so I'm really excited to see this happen. I know that the third book still has yet to come out, but that's all we know at this point is it got optioned, which means technically nothing could come from it or a series could come from it. We'll just see what ends up shaking down. Kind of just a waiting game to figure out the details Well, and you've got to find a director, and you've got to find a cast and wardrobe and and where filming is going to happen. So it's good news. It makes me very happy since the next book's about to come out, and I'm very excited. But it'll be a while. And then the last piece of book news that I found, it's not a series that I'm super into, but I just read the first book this year. And it's uh, Kristen Kishore has decided to expand her Graceling Realm series. I read Graceling and really, really enjoyed it. I didn't want to keep going with it because it's a companion series. So It's not following the same set of characters the whole way through, but the next book is going to be published in January of 2021, unless it gets pushed back because of COVID, but that's the latest release date. And it's going to be called Winter Keep. I don't know anything else outside of that. I'm sure they'll come out with a summary and photo of the cover and all that stuff soon. It's too bad the book isn't coming out before most people's winter because that would be like the perfect winter book if right. it's in the winter's keep. <laughs> I mean, technically it's still in winter. It still counts. Yeah. Just, so. you, you couldn't get it before Christmas. You just have to wait till like, the after Christmas snows. Yeah. But that's all the book news. I did want to talk about this week. I guess I'm getting up on a second soapbox. And uh, last week I talked about releases that I was excited for for June or that I thought would make a big splash in June. And I realized that with everything going on, it would probably be a good idea to mention releases I'm excited about from authors who are people of color. And 
I thought it would be a good idea also to add on that with new releases, it's really important to buy them ahead of time. And so that shows that there's an audience for this type of book. It shows that there's interest. It shows that they're going to do well in the first week because pre-order numbers fold into the first week numbers. If I'm remembering things correctly, I'm not in the publishing industry. So I just thought I'd bring up four different uh, releases that are going to come out later this year that you could pre-order now. And on my blog, which should be linked in the show notes, I'm going to have up a list of bookstores owned by people of color. And that's where you could pre-order because they do shipping. So that's always an option as well. Cool. So not only are you going to be helping out authors with newer books in their lineups, but you'd also be helping out some small businesses that probably need the love right now. Right. Not me in particular, but I mean, I have pre-ordered. And it also, it works through bookshop.org, I think is what it's called. And basically you order through them and they donate some of their proceeds to smaller bookstores, independent bookstores. Gotcha. That sounds like a pretty good program for our listeners to utilize. So the first one is science fiction. This is the one that I am most excited about. And I hate that it's not coming out till August 4th, but that is its release date. Uh, It's called The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. And for that one, the summary reminds me a little bit of Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. And it involves the theory of multiverse. So the theory that there are multiple universes happening at the same time. I I haven't read anything with that yet. I've (laughs) definitely been all in a singular verse. Right, yeah. Um, So basically this girl finds out that she can travel between the different universes and experience life there because a lot of her versions of herself in the other universes have died. And so she decides to travel through the multiverse and something dangerous and mysterious starts happening. So very interesting. You definitely get sci-fi in there, but you also kind of get a mystery. So I think that sounds really good. And again, that's August 4th for that one. So the second one that I'm wanting to remind people is coming out. It's coming out on September 8th. It's called Just Us, An American Conversation by Claudia Rankin. This book is sort of multimedia. It's got photographs, it's got essays, it's got stories, that sort of thing. And it's about having that conversation with each other about white supremacy and how we might change what's happening and the ability to have these awkward conversations, especially if you're a white person. So I think it's incredibly important, especially right now with the police brutality issue. I wish this was coming out sooner because I think by September 8th, we're going to do that thing that Americans are known for doing, which is completely and totally forgetting about what just happened. Yeah, the infamous uh, U.S. short-term memory loss is what I like to call it. We uh, will forget it ever happened until the next time. And then when people get upset, it's like, whoa, wait, why are you guys so upset? And be like, "Uh, duh, the 80 other times it it has happened that you're ignoring. So I wish this was coming out sooner. Again, it's going to be a hard read, but I think it's an important read to have. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it would be uh, a good book for the current atmosphere of the world. Right. And then I've got two more that are fiction. One is a thriller by Alyssa Cole. 
It comes out on September 15th, and it's called When No One Is Watching. Now, this one does kind of have a political twist to the thriller because it's about Brooklyn and how this neighborhood is getting gentrified and how just maybe her neighbors aren't moving out and maybe something else is happening to them. So that's the thriller part. But you do have the gentrification and the different ways that black communities are changing in Brooklyn. So it's still fiction, but it's it's going to get the political kick in there that I think a lot of people are wanting at this moment. And then the final one also comes out on September 15th, and it's a YA fantasy by Tracy Dion, and it's called Legendborn. This is the first book in a series. I don't know how many are going to be in the series, but at least three, I assume. And it's basically a boarding school story with fantasy elements. So similar to Harry Potter and things like that. But she sort of unlocks these memories that she didn't know she had, and in doing so unlocks her magic that she didn't know she had. So it seems pretty interesting. And it's got a um, person of color as your main character as well. So I think that's good. Yeah, definitely uh, sounds like a pretty interesting read as well. Kind of mixing up uh, everybody's favorite worlds of magic and mystical to a boarding school instead of like a more or less like an academy, which I think is more the way Hogwarts will lean. It's not really like a boarding school per se. I mean, magical boarding school academy, same difference to me. But again, I do have a note on my blog for all the different independent bookstores owned by people of color that you can order from online. So these are good for pre-orders and you can do that there and that'll help their shop and it'll help the author as well. And then as far as what I have been reading this week, I came so close to finishing three books this week and it didn't quite happen. I still have 95 pages left of my last book, but I'm including it here. So the first thing I read was Marked in Flesh by Anne Bishop. It's the fourth book in the other series that I told you about last week. It's my cotton candy read. Not very nutritious, I can eat it all in one go. So it's an urban fantasy adult about a blood prophet and things become chaotic from there. And I really enjoyed this fourth one, but what I'm finding is as the books go on, the author expands and expands and expands the world and it's getting to the point where I'm missing the smaller slice of life moments that I really enjoy where characters are interacting with each other and it's less about moving the plot. So this one only got 3.5 stars for me. Would I still love to read the series as a whole one time through? Just absolutely binge read it? I would. So that doesn't mean this is a bad book. I know the star system is sort of messed up over on Goodreads. You can only rate one through five and a lot of books that get 3.5 or lower people tend to think is a bad rating and I think it's just it's slightly better than middle of the road. So it's like a, it's a good book it's just not like gonna be top 10 favorite book. Well, yeah, no. And then after I read that one, I read an absolutely remarkable thing, which is almost impossible to say, so thanks for that, Hank Green. And I, it was weird reading it this time because originally I gave it 4.5 stars. Like that, it's almost the perfect five star read. And then reading it this time, I noticed some of what I enjoyed is gone. And When I rated it again, I only rated it 4.25 stars. So for me, it was a little weird. It felt a little bit like some of that 
mystery, the magic was kind of gone a little bit. That can happen to mystery books after you've read them before. <laughs> well, and it, again, this is a first contact with aliens sci-fi. So it's not supposed to have a giant mystery element. So the mystery element is actually sort of like the turn there. But because I knew it was coming, it did drop it down a little bit for me. I still really enjoyed it. I still think Hank is a really good author and I'm very excited to read the last book in the duology when it comes out next month. I just, I'm not sure there's going to be one of those books that you can reread over and over and over again like I do with Harry Potter. Which again, don't compare things to Harry Potter, that's just a bad idea. I was going to say as well too, you got to understand that your obsession started very young with <laughs> Harry Potter, uh, where in fairness to Hank Green, the book's been out, what, about a year? Yeah. So... Um, I don't know that that's at all a fair comparison, as I like to say around our house, apples to boulders, apples to boulders. <laughs> well, I think more to my point was that there's so much intricacy in the world building that even if you know what's going to happen, you can still find new things to enjoy and dissect in Harry Potter. Whereas this story is pretty straightforward and it does happen supposedly in modern day. So... There's not a lot of things to explore. There's not a ton of world building. Obviously, first contact with aliens, the way he did that, I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was great. It's just, I can't explore deeper than that, per se. Yeah, it's kind of a tough subject because, like, nobody's had first contact with aliens, as far as I believe, anyways, currently. There are some people out there that are like, yeah, I've done that. Um, Don't go into Roswell, New Mexico theories. Let's just stop right there. Yeah. But in, in seriousness, I feel like that's a difficult subject to write on just because, like, since it's never happened in modern day, it, you're just kind of going with what you think is the well, right way it was taken. That's, that's sort of what the whole genre is about, is what would happen if. Yeah. And I think he does a good job of subverting some expectations of what would happen if. I think he does a really good job with the aliens and their contact with us and our interactions with them. So it was still really good for two five stars yeah that's definitely a good rating so you know don't be offended hank just so you know (laughs) i'm sure he has heard worse yeah but uh the last book that i almost got done this week i'm very close to the end was my reread for the merciful crow by margaret owen i was trying to get it in under the wire and it didn't quite happen i have less than 100 pages left and i'm reading this in preparation for the second book which comes out again next month. Next month is a very new book release heavy month. Well, that's good news for all the people that have been locked up, you know, with COVID and all these things. It's, right. it's about darn time to get some good books popping right now. Well, and I really like the magic system in this world. And I think the world building is done really well. I think this time in my reread, I'm having more trouble with the moving from plot point to plot point, which I don't know why I would have a problem with that. I love character focused books. And so when we finally hunker down from having a ton of characters to going down to less and less and less and less, I'm liking it less than when we had the whole full cast of characters. So that's completely opposite to the way I normally feel. So I don't know why I'm not enjoying it as much as I did the first time. It's just been a week of like, if I've read it already, I'm not liking it as much as I did before. And I don't know why that is. But don't get me wrong, I still really like this book. I love the magic system. It's also got a cast system in this world. And so 
you've got the crows, which are like the lowest caste, and they're doomed to spend their life just going from town to town, taking any of the victims of the plague and burning them on a pyre, and that's all their life is, and they've got fewer privileges than everyone else, they can't carry knives to protect themselves, they're being hunted by the upper class. Wow, that sounds really familiar with other things going on right now. Uh, moving on. And then you've got higher class, which are like scholars. You've got people who hunt and forge. And then you've got the phoenixes at the very top, and they are the ruling class. And they supposedly cannot die of the plague. So then why did we start at the very beginning going to the royal castle and taking two plague victims? Dun, dun, dun. So it's very interesting in that it starts at a point where this is what always happens, but wait, that's not what happened this time. But wait, there's more. No. So again, the premise at the beginning, so good. World building is so good. Maybe it's that the characters need some work. Maybe they're not fleshed out enough. I'm not sure, but I'll finish that tonight no matter what. Yeah, I definitely should have some time tonight. I know that uh, my work schedule has been throwing off your reading schedule, so... Which is the absolute worst. Yeah. Stop getting in my way. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of reading, you have finished the first Harry Potter book. Yeah, you were talking about uh, finishing books, you know, and uh, I finished one this week. In two weeks, you finished one book. I'm so proud of you. My head's about to explode <laughs> with how much things have been crammed into it on top of, like, the adjusting to my life, but... It ended well. Obviously, um, I, I've read this book before when I was a kid, so it's just been a lot of years since. So, like, there were little things that I thought were really, really great about the from chapter 10 on. Right. Um, well, I should say 11, technically through 17. But, you know, it, it, was, it was good. I really enjoyed the end. Like, you start to really see the bad guys be the bad guys or, like, who they suspect to be bad guys. And I think that was honestly, like, the most thrilling part about it. Like... Obviously, you start off with the Quidditch scene in Chapter 11, and then you see Snape being the bad guy. And then, just so you know, people at home, air quotes were just definitely happening right there. <laughs> uh, obviously, because I've seen the movie, I, I, I knew he wasn't the bad guy. But yeah. at the same time... Um, I would argue for Snape being a bad guy, but move on. Yeah, it, it's you know not related directly to the storyline necessarily <laughs> here. You know, In this instance, he's trying to protect him. Um, and he finds all that out at the very end of everything. Um, you know, that scene was really big for me. And then um, the forest scene. So, like, I, I don't remember that scene when they're on detention or in detention for trying to help uh, Hagrid get rid of the dragon that he smuggled into the to the school. So, like, that I was really smart. I think Hagrid owes them a lot, a lot, a lot for what they did for him. My first thought, honestly, when they took the detention was, what the hell, Hagrid? Why didn't you come have their back? Like, You're the one that screwed up, and they saved you. Yeah, like, but then he would have had to admit to having a dragon, and that's legal problems, not school problems. Yeah, I, I could imagine that. Um, but like, my favorite part about it was, that at least that scene where they're smuggling the dragon out, is when Harry and Hermione get caught. Mm-hmm. And Neville's like, they have a dragon and they're doing this and they're doing that. And I heard, you know, Malfoy talking about how he was going to get them all in trouble and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And they're like, shh. Like they're giving him like that little like, don't say anything type mm-hmm. hand gestures. And Neville's just spilling the beans, <laughs> you know, sharing the tea as they say, you know. I just have to say, I know that 
this is not a character who is supposed to be my favorite character. I understand logically that Neville is not supposed to be my favorite character in all of Harry Potter, but he is. Ne- Neville uh, definitely is not my favorite character right now. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure over time he'll grow on me, but current to the current place that I am in the book, I'm no. The he, rise of Neville will happen. Yeah, and and then the one thing that like between that change for like characters from the book to the movies. Hermione is a little braver than they made her out to look in the movies. Like, in, in the movies, she was like, okay, guys, let's follow the rules. Everything's going to be okay. We'll all do this together. I'm really smart. We're great. You know? Right, right. Um, but, I will think our way out of this. Well, and she still definitely is that way. Yeah, But there's sure. also another side of her personality that you don't see in the movies. So. Well, and we actually were at the panel for LeakyCon last year about kind of this, where they gave Ron a lot of Harry or uh, Hermione's characteristics Traits. in yeah. the movies. So we're actually planning on next week comparing the first book versus the first movie. So I'm very excited to rewatch the movie with you and see how you feel about it. You know, I I joked about, like, you know, possibly going up there in the movie Ron versus book Ron and just being like, listen, all you haters on movie Ron need to get to the <laughs> back of the bus. Like, y'all, no, 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 no. Like, you don't understand because movie Ron to me, on a whole other level, was better than book Ron as far as I am right now. And, and I say that... That is I, a controversial and I statement. Say, I say that and I tread lightly <laughs> because I know that there's a love for Book Ron in the community and Movie Ron and Book Ron are both kind of brave. I would feel like Movie Ron is a little bit more of a risk taker than Book Ron was. Hmm. Just a tap. And again, those comparisons all probably come up next yeah, week when yeah. we talk about it. But for sure. Um, the scenes, though, that I that really stuck out to me is the forest scene, and I think I was mentioning that a little bit earlier. Um, when they go out into the forest, it was just placed so differently, and, like, the centaurs are talking about Mars, and I was like... <laughs> I literally complained to my wife. I'm like, this is the stupidest line I've ever read in my entire life, and she immediately corrected me. <laughs> I'm sure she's biting at anything to try to jump in right now, so... Well, okay, here's the thing. He didn't just complain once after he finished the chapter. As he was reading, every single time a centaur said that, he's like, this is stupid. What does this mean? So well, like, that that got annoying. Not the Mars is bright. That I was annoying. understand I am not of the creative writing style person by any means. I've never taken a course on creative writing. So I didn't understand it until you really explained it to me. You saw it as them just kind of like holding their cards close to their chest but going like, there's bad things happening in this mm-hmm. near future. I did not see it as that. I thought they were literally just talking about Mars, just like everybody else in the book as the characters took it. Like right. They were like, these centaurs are so dumb. Like uh, That's the way everybody else saw it in the book. So. Again, I read this series when I was 10, and every year since then, I have been reading these books for 20 years. So I know a lot of the underlying things that you might not catch the first time around. And... Later on, you'll see centaurs have a different way of divining the future. So divinations for Harry is very different than what centaurs do. And then the the one somewhat normal centaur appears, Ferenz. I think I'm saying that right. Hopefully I am. Or Ferenzi, whichever Ferenzi, way is correct. Ferenzi, Firenz, Ferenzi, whatever okay, you want to go. Okay, you've gone too far. Yeah. Go back to your point. Point being, um, 
he starts to kind of break it down a little bit as uh, some of, well, as you would say, break it down Barney style for Harry. Like, hey, you're in danger. Whatever that was could have been like kind of still led him along a little bit. But like he still had to come to the decision that that was probably Voldemort, you know. And so like the fact is you're starting to see the evil get closer to Hogwarts than Harry knew it was, you know. And so that I think that was my favorite part was like you get in that looming of like darkness is coming, but you don't know when it's going to happen. The next best part in my mind is like you start to realize how gullible Hagrid really is. Oh yeah. To a whole other level. Like oh yeah, some guy at a bar just happened to have this rare dragon egg <laughs> and I beat him in poker because I was drunk. Like, you know. I think the thing that I like about this, and most people would say that it's not good, is that he loves animals so much. And, oh, my God, someone has a dragon egg. Like, this is the best day ever. Yeah. So So, he's basically you to an extent in the sense of your love for animals. I wouldn't want a dragon egg, but basically, yes. But basically, yes, yeah. And then you get even further where he's just like, he spills the beans about how Fluffy falls, like how to incapacitate, I guess, like not kill, but like put to sleep or, you know, take control of Fluffy. Disarm Fluffy. Yeah, that, there you go, disarm, that was the word I was looking for. And and it's just like, dude, just, <laughs> you just need to learn not to talk, you know? Um, and he spilled the bean once and then a second time to, <laughs> to Harry and, and Hermione and Ron. And it was just like, what? Why? Just, dude. Like, this just, is a trait of Hagrid's that you will come to enjoy and love as the series goes on. Yeah. Loose lips. You know? <laughs> He's just spilling the beans everywhere. Um, Turned out all right in the end. Yeah. More or less it worked out. <laughs> and then I think one of the other scenes that I I really enjoyed was the the last Quidditch match, um, and it was it was against Hufflepuff. Is that right? I'm they, assuming they had they had one more against Ravenclaw, which Harry didn't play in for other reasons. But the the Hufflepuff match was uh, refereed by Snape. Yeah, yeah. And the whole time, everybody was like, "Oh, he's gonna kill him this time," you know, <laughs> type of thing. And even Harry was thinking that. And like Snape was hard on the Gryffindor team. But by no means was trying to kill Harry at all in that match. Dumbledore was present. You know, Snape was present. And again, we find out that the two of those guys, you know, are there for good reasons. Right. You know, so. It's just, it's really funny thinking about how throughout the series, you've got Harry just latching on to ideas. And whether it's true or not, he's just going to go with it. Oh, yeah, 100%. He was committed. He was like, well, that's the path. I am walking down it, you know. Right. And, and it's just so funny because, like, yeah, obviously Snape comes across as a little bit of a jerk to everybody that's Gryffindor. Like, he treats them worse, like the redheaded stepchild to an extent. Yeah. You know, and and at the same time, it's just like, he's not out to get you, dummy. Like, Or is he? Or is he? Yeah. So far in the first book, <laughs> you know, and that's not the case. So, yeah. and then obviously as you're going through, like, the... The challenges is the way I kind of saw it, like, okay. or or you could see it like rounds, I guess, round one, round two, round three. You know, going through the process of getting to the mirror of des- Erised or Desire, if you're smart enough to spell it backwards. They they had those challenges, and they were really interesting because like it really played on each individual person's talents to get through it, which was really convenient, neat. wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I don't really want to go too too far into it. 
um, just because I feel like a lot of that conversation will be had with the movies based Probably, on the differences. Yeah. But it was really funny how well certain things played into each person's role. Um, it's almost like someone orchestrated that, but that's a whole conspiracy theory. Yeah, it would be like maybe the author. Um, I was thinking of a character, but that also works. You know, at the same time, like the ending of this book was really, really great. Obviously, the final scene in the Great Hall. And uh, Slytherin was like, whoop, whoop, we won. And then Dumbledore was like, "Jokes on mic you. drop, you know. <laughs> um, and you had the whole room just in shock and awe because it was the first time in what... I'm going to say it was like five or six years. That's Try again. Seven years. Magical number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, seven years that Slytherin hadn't won. Um, and so like the Ravenclaw people or students and Hufflepuff students were like, yeah, somebody beat Slytherin. Finally. Slytherin. We hit them. Um, but it's still not going to be your year, Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. Yeah. You know, as a Ravenclaw, that hurts just a little bit on the inside. But at the same time, like it was good to see somebody other than Slytherin win. And I'm not going to continue to hate on Slytherin for like the next half hour, but I could. (laughs) Uh, Um, Don't go there. um, Point of it all being, um, you know, I really, really enjoyed the first book. I'm looking forward to starting the second. Um, I'm going to be starting the second book this upcoming week, but um, we probably won't go into what I read next week because we're going to be covering the the movie book differences and I feel like there's a lot lot. to be said yeah yeah so next week we're going to talk about what happened in book one versus movie one and see how you feel about all those and that sort of thing because I have thoughts and then after that we'll get back into book two and then we'll do the same with movie two after the fact yeah so you know overall I definitely enjoyed the book and it's everything and more that I remembered from when I read it as a kid yeah um and I'm thoroughly excited to continue the series. Um, I know that makes you very happy. Um, considering I will get you to read all these. I swear to God. <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I'm really excited overall. Yeah. And uh, I'm and excited then. to see what you pick up in the next book in particular. Because as an adult reading book two and some of the other books but book two in particular there's a lot you pick up on that you did not as a child and it makes you question what is wrong with these adults yeah so i'm excited to see how you feel about that it's definitely one that i don't remember too much about the second book i don't, I, I remember more the first and the third book more so than anything right um and that's about as far as I got. So after that, the adventure begins. Right? That'll be fun. Um, but next week, you're going to be starting the next uh, Harry Potter. And for my reading, what's going to happen next is I'm going to read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for the 1,000th time or something like that. So congratulations, guys. You had to hear me talk about Harry Potter. And now it will be her turn to also continue to talk about Harry Potter. Now that you're done with my book, I can finally start my yearly reread. As if we don't have eight dozen copies of the books here in the house. I would have to count to be sure. Yeah. And then after I finish that, because that will probably only take me a day, I'll read Etched in Bone, which is the last book in the other series that I've talked about countless times now. It's... I'm not sure where the book is going to continue because it felt like book four was a really great place to end it. So book five, unless there's a really good plot structure or something really amazing happens, 
I have a feeling I'm not going to be as satisfied as I was with book four. But maybe it's better to go into the book feeling that way and then I'll be surprised. We'll just have to wait and see, I guess. And that's pretty much everything for this week. We appreciate you hanging out with us through this process. Yes, um, thank you for listening. We've got all of our social medias and the usual blah, blah, blahs down in the social, the note. Yep, down in the notes, not the social notes. <laughs> um, I'm so used to social distancing. Maybe that's what the notes need to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, and guys, leave us some comments on some things. We definitely would love to hear your feedback. Um, obviously, we're a new podcast and we want to grow with our community. So, you know, keep it in touch with us please we would like to have a community yeah that would be great yeah <laughs> but we will talk to you next time yep thanks guys bye, bye.